Welcome to Moments with Marianne. I'm so delighted we're spending this time here today. We have a very inspiring show coming right up with special guest Joe Amaral, and he's here today to share with us his new book, Story in the Stars, Discovering God's Design and Plan for Our Universe. Joe's first book, Understanding Jesus, was published in 2011, and his second book, What Would Jesus Read?, was published in 2012. In 2016, he served as a daily host of Canada's longest-running daily TV program. Joe has traveled the world many times and is a sought-after Bible teacher and speaker. With more than 40 trips to Israel, immersing himself in the local culture and working closely with Israel's archaeologists and government, he has gained both access and insight into the first-century culture of Jesus. So let's welcome to the show, Joe Amaral. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Oh, what a pleasure it is to have you here. And gosh, you know, what a great book to start the new year with. You know, um, it's different. I know that. I hear that a lot. And when I give people the title of a book and the premise, you know, I get that they caught their heads to the side and they go, I'm sorry, say what? <laughs> so it's a great <laughs> conversation starter. <laughs> well, you know, and, and what a perfect way to start this conversation, because I would love mm. to know, and I'm sure our listeners would too, is how you became interested in this combination of astronomy and spirituality. Sure. Well, I've been a believer for, for a while now. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old, and so I've been following the Lord for many, many years, and I've served in full-time ministry since 19... Uh, 92, and I've pastured, and I've, I've gone to Israel. I think I, in November it made my 42nd time to the land, you know. And I was kind of known as the guy who was the expert on first century culture, and and so I was doing that for many many years. And in, in my travels, um, what I started to discover was that because of all the uh, time zones I was in, I, I just wasn't able to sleep. You know, I was doing 10 to 11 countries a year. And so I couldn't fall asleep, and so they put me on these really, really heavy um, sleep medications. And what that medication did is it bypassed the whole dream stage of the sleep, the REM, and put you right into a deep sleep. And so I hadn't dreamed, like, literally in almost 10 years. So could you imagine one night or one morning when I woke up from a night of sleep, and I had this vivid dream of images in the sky? I was shocked, first of all, that I had a dream. And then secondly, I was shocked. Uh, by what I, I'd seen in my dream in the sky. And up until that point, I really had no interest um, whatsoever in the sky, in, in the zodiac, um, astronomy, astrology, nothing like that. Like anybody else, I enjoyed looking up at a full moon or, you know, some kind of astronomical event, but I really wasn't, you know, paying attention to it. But in this dream, I looked up and I saw this woman and she was, she was in the sky, and she looked very distressed to me. I'll never forget the look that was on her face. And then it's like, you know, the camera cut and went to another scene. And there was this very large dragon in the sky, and I knew the dragon was upset with the woman and wanted to harm her. And I just knew that. And I woke up, and I told my dear wife the dream, and she's like, honey, please don't share that dream with anybody. That's a really strange, you know, kind of a dream. And, yeah. and I remember... But I remember hearing these words. I remember hearing like God speak to my heart saying, check the constellations. That's where you'll find the interpretation for the dream. And so here it is, 10 years almost without a dream. 
And I hear these words, check the constellations. And in my heart, I'm going, there's no way that can be God, because I know what the constellations are. Those are all those, you know, crazy signs of the zodiac and astrology. There's no way this is God's voice. But I had too much experience with that voice to, to know that it was God. You know, that was the voice that said, hey, that's the woman for you to marry. That's the Bible college I want you to go to. You know, I, I heard that voice guiding me. And so now this voice is telling me to check the constellations. I said, I don't even know what that means. I don't know where to start with that God. And so I began to do some Google searches and found some really bizarre and just crazy stuff. And I said, you know what? I think there's a, there's a scene in the Bible about a woman and a dragon. And so, you know, I hop onto my Bible app and I do a search for the word dragon. And then Revelation 12 pops up. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the Word of God. It talked about a great sign appearing in the heaven. And then um, there was a woman, and beside the woman was a dragon who was knocking stars out of the sky, and the woman was afraid. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that's what I saw in my dream. But then I wondered, what, you know, what does this all mean? Because Revelation 12 very often is taken you know, very spiritually, that the woman could represent the church or Israel or the Holy Spirit, and the dragon could have been King Herod, the Roman Empire, Nero, the devil himself, all these kinds of things. And then it hit me, what if he wasn't seeing something symbolic or spiritual? What if God actually gave him a vision of constellations in the night sky? Because it says that a great sign appeared in heaven, and that the woman was clothed with the sun, and the moon was under her feet. And so I, I began going on astronomy software and saying, well, what kind of constellation has a female? Well, there's only one out of the 12, and that's the constellation of Virgo. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So if John says he was looking up Virgo, and the sun was passing through that constellation, and the moon was passing under the feet of the constellation of Virgo, if I can know when that was, all of a sudden we have a date. Mm -hmm. And I went, hang on a second. What if John has given us coordinates? Then I look over at the dragon. Well, there's a constellation called Draco. When are Virgo and Draco in the sky? And all of a sudden, it all began to make sense to me. God was showing him a picture of the sky on the night that Jesus was born. Because if you go right back to Genesis 1.14, God said that he created the sun, the moon, and the stars to serve as signs to mark holy days. And John said he saw a sign, and then Jesus said there will be signs. And I kept seeing these connections, and this massive celestial puzzle started to come together for me piece by piece. I know it's a very long answer, but that's how all this, this journey began for me. It was with a dream back in 2013. Well, I'm so glad that you took the time to share that with us, because so often it's, it's interesting when we get these divine inspirations that move our life in a totally different direction than we ever thought it would right. be in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, I know in your book, Story in the Stars, you talk about, you know, you, you, obviously you, you shared with us your, your start with signs, but you talk about religious and universal signs. Can you share with our audience what that means? I mean, like signs in terms of signs on earth or referring to the signs in the sky? Signs in the sky. Sure. I mean, what blows me uh, away about these these constellations that we call signs is that they're universal in nature, and this is what I mean. 
whether it was the ancient Babylons or, or the, the, the Chinese or the Mesopotamians or the Syrians or the Africans or, or whoever, the Hebrews, whoever it was, they all looked up at the same sky. And they lived thousands of years apart from each other and thousands of miles apart from each other. They never contacted each other. So how is it possible that these cultures who were never connected were able to look up at the sky and not see one, five, or ten, but they all saw 48 constellations? And more than that, they all saw the exact same 48 constellations. And then add to that, they all used the same stars to make up the shapes of the constellations. I mean, to me, the chances of that happening on their own and to not be connected, I mean... It's astronomical. There's no way that that could be accidental. And that's when I began to see, wow, these signs of the constellations of the zodiacs, they're actually incredible evidence of intelligent design. There seems to be intent behind the placement of the stars in the sky and the way the, the lines are drawn to make the symbols. So for, for one culture to see one or two signs that are the same, Maybe it's reasonable. Maybe someone got lucky. But to see 48, I don't know about you, but I, I can't see that being random. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can't either. It's interesting yeah. how this all comes together. And, and, you know, in your book, you talk about also how, I mean, when we look at, you know, events that have happened, when we look at, like, the um, the solar and lunar eclipses, how those have significance in and just our calendar and how we keep track of time as well. Yeah, the the signs. I mean, God said it very clearly in Genesis one fourteen. I know we referred to it, but if we take a little more time in that verse, mm-hmm. he says that the lights that he put in the sky, which were the sun, the moon, and the stars, that he would use them. Um, they were for us to mark uh, to mark sacred times, days, and years. So yeah, it sounds like 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 a calendar. Uh, back in November, I was in Israel, and I was visiting a synagogue in an area called Bet Sha'an in the Jordan Valley. And here's the synagogue from thousands of years ago, and right in the middle of the prayer room, in the middle of the main meeting hall, is this uh, floor, a, zo- um, a mosaic floor with the 12 signs of the zodiac. And you're like, hang on a second. How could these ancient Hebrews justify having the wheel of the zodiac in their synagogue on their floor that seems like you know um a disobedience of the command of god not to have any graven images as i began to research and and ask around they said no no it's not idol worship at all in fact these 12 signs of the constellations they help us to map out our year so we know when the sun and the moon is passing through various constellations throughout the year that's when we plant certain crops this is when we harvest certain crops and so they, God gave them as a very practical means of, uh, of knowing what was happening on earth by what was happening in the sky. But then God takes it one step further. He said it's not just to map days and years, but they're to mark sacred times. Now, that's two words in English, but if you go back to the original uh, Hebrew text, it says that they're to mark moedim, a Hebrew word which means feasts or festivals of the Lord. And we find these in Leviticus 23 and, and elsewhere. Things like Passover and First Fruits and Pentecost and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. So God said, when these dates are occurring on earth, you can look to the skies. And not you might, you will see celestial activity. So I'm going to place images in the sky to let you know when these events, when these holy days take place. 
Today, we have all kinds of apps and ways of figuring out dates, but in the ancient times, they relied on God's calendar, and his calendar was made up of stars, suns, and moons that he had placed in the sky. Wow. Well, I just love how it all comes together. And in your book, you talk about Jesus and the Zodiac. And I would love for you just to share one or two things in regards to how how Jesus is connected to the Zodiac. Sure. I mean, it's stunning when you actually start to study it. I've been a pastor coming up on 30 years, and I had read these uh, portions of scriptures dozens of times, and I preached on them, and I had read them personally, and I never really connected them until I had that dream back in 2013. And all of a sudden, I saw verses that really stood out in a new and different way. Uh, For instance, in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus says, you know, there will be signs. Signs made up of what? Of suns, moons, and stars. Those are called constellations. Jesus himself actually says, I want you to look. And in the sky, you're going to see signs that have been placed there. And then in Matthew 24, he says, he encourages us. He says, look to the sky. There you will find the sign of the Son of Man. Wow, Jesus is actually reminding us that there are signs in the heavens that point us to him. Mm-hmm. Because if we go back to Psalm uh, chapter 19, there it declares, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? That the skies proclaim the work of his hands, they pour forth speech, they reveal knowledge, but they don't use a single word. And I remember thinking, well, how do you say something without saying a word? Easy pictures. Right? A a picture is worth a thousand words. And it says that the heavens, without using any words, are declaring the glory of God. So I said, well, what is the glory of God? And very quickly I discovered the glory of God isn't a what, it's it's a who, it's a person. Because in Hebrews 1-3 it says that the Son, S-O-N, the Son, Jesus, He's God's glory. So that means the heavens actually, they exist to declare Christ. These signs in the sky, they point us towards something. They point us towards someone. And that someone is Jesus. You know, and then we get to the book of Revelation and he says, I'm the bright and morning star. He starts to compare himself to these celestial bodies. And as we begin to make connections, they begin to make sense. Uh, An example I can quickly share with you is, is found in John 7 where the Bible says that on the last and great day of the feast that Jesus went to the temple in in Jerusalem. And we can know exactly when that was, because there's only one feast in the entire Bible that has a last and great day, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles. And we know this takes place at the end of September and um, the beginning of October. And what's interesting about this feast is that on that last day, the priest goes to the Pool of Siloam, where he fills up a container of living water, and he comes back to the altar, and then he pours out the living water. And what's interesting is that Jesus makes that claim. He says, I'm the living water. Drink of me, and you'll never thirst again. And here's where the signs come in. During the end of September and October every year, passing over the skies of Jerusalem is the sign of Aquarius. And Aquarius is a picture of a man pouring out a container of water into the mouth of a fish. I said, wow, that's been there in the sky the whole time, and we've never made that connection. So this, along with dozens others of illustrations, are a sign that God has placed in the sky 
to be able to point us, to declare the Son of God, Jesus, as the Messiah. It's really interesting how all this comes together, and it takes somebody that has done great research in both areas, both when we look at the Bible and also when we look at the constellations. Was there anything during your research that kind of, I mean, because there's lots of like aha moments, I'm sure, but was there something that really <laughs> surprised you? <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that came up. You know, you begin to write a book, and so you outline it. You come up with your title, and then you say, okay, these are these are my main thoughts. So here's my main chapter headings, and here's the sub-thoughts that I want to talk about. And you start to dig into it, and you begin to pray and say, Lord, you know, what do you want me to say? What do you want to, what do you want to tell your children through this book? And then you kind of get a tendency, or you look at something, and you go, oh, that's, that, that's interesting. Um, in the natural, it looks so normal and innocent, but when you compare it and, and put it up against what God said, that he would put signs in the sky, all of a sudden, it begins to make sense. Uh, for instance, um, back in, in March of, of uh, 2016, something happened in the skies that we weren't even aware of here on Earth. We were just kind of, it was uh, March 17, 2016. We were just doing our thing, living our lives. But something happened in the heavens that was fulfilling what God said, that, that the signs in the sky were to serve as, as evidence for God. And so on that date, an amateur astronomer was pointing his telescope up at Jupiter because he wanted to get a, a video image of the planet. I mean, I've done that myself. It's a beautiful, you know, picture looking at Jupiter. And all of a sudden, he sees this little white explosion in the top right corner of the screen, sends it into NASA, and then they calculated that on that day that a comet had slammed into the planet. And you think, okay, a planet slammed into, sorry, a comet slammed into Jupiter. That's cool, but like, what does it have to do with us? Mm-hmm. But when they analyzed the impact crater that the comet left on Jupiter, first of all, it was the size of Earth. So had that made it through the solar system and hit us, it would have been what they call a biosphere-changing event. That means wow. life on Earth would have been terminated. So you're like, okay, so Jupiter got in the way and took the impact for us. Now here's where it starts to get really cool. is that in the ancient times, all the planets were called um, kings, because all other stars were fixed in the sky, the planets were able to move around the sky. So to them, they were stars that moved. And they called those stars, which we know to be planets today, they called them the kings of the sky because they, they had more power than the other stars. And because Jupiter was the largest of all the stars, they called Jupiter not just the king, but Jupiter was the king of kings. That went, wow, God. On that date, which was leading up to Passover, which is when Jesus was sacrificed as the Passover lamb, we see that Jupiter, the king of kings, took upon itself the impact that was due us, humanity. And Isaiah 53 exploded off the screen to me that Jesus, the king of kings, took upon himself the penalty that was due me, that was due you, that was, that was due to the listeners. And he took that upon himself And literally, during the season of Passover, as we're remembering that the land took away the sin for us, Jupiter, the king of kings, took the impact and the penalty that was due us. So as I was researching the book, I found this, and I said, oh, God, how you love us. You've placed this incredible example in the sky, so no matter where we live, no matter what language we speak or don't speak, we know that you have taken the penalty for us, and you're still reminding us today. Mm. 
Isn't that just amazing how all that comes together? And it really, you must just automatically see it now. You're kind of wired just to see these things <laughs> that happen more so than anybody else, you know? I am, and I drive my poor family nuts <laughs> because <laughs> every time we go outside, guys, look up, there's Jupiter. Yeah, that's amazing. Can we just go to the mall, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, in your book, Story in the Stars, you talk about just the significance of the different constellations like we've been discussing. What sure. is this significance of Orion? Oh, Orion, yeah. I mean, you know, you look up at the sky and pretty much anywhere in North America during the winter season, we can look up and we can see Orion's belt, those three stars on that on that angle. And everybody kind of knows the name Orion's belt, and it's, you know, it's part of a larger constellation called Orion, but what's what's really interesting about this to me is that it's actually mentioned in the Bible by name. If you go back to the to the book of Job, it's already being mentioned there. God's having a conversation with Job because Job has lost everything and he's he's trusting God, but he's you know naturally he's questioning God's ability to be in control because he says, "God, I've lost everything," and you say you're you're the great God, but are you really that great? And so he has this exchange with Job, and he says, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And where were you? And he does all of these things. And then in Job 38, verses 31 and 32, he says to him, he says, Job, first of all, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? And the Pleiades is a cluster of seven stars in the constellation of Taurus. I'm thinking, wow, 6,000 years ago, the author of Job already knew the name of Pleiades and that it was in the constellation of Taurus. So that kind of blew my mind that that long ago, they already knew of this constellation. And then God says, and also, can you loosen Orion's belt? And there it is. There's the belt of Orion from that constellation 6,000 years ago. God's using these names then the clincher is, he says, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? And the Hebrew word for constellation is, is Maseroth, and it literally means, when you look up the Strong's Concordance, it's the 12 signs of the Zodiac. God says, can you create them? Can you cause them to move in their seasons? Can you put them in the right place at the right time? And God says, no, I'm the one who does that. You know, in Psalm 147.4, it says that he counts the numbers of all the stars, and he knows them all by name. And in Psalm 8.3, he says that he's taken all the stars of the sky, and he has set them in place. So it wasn't a random explosion of chaos at the beginning of creation, where stars were just placed wherever. No, the Hebrew, the, the writer of the Psalms tells us that God named the stars, and he actually placed them in the heavens. And then God says, I'm the one who causes them to move in their seasons. And there's so much biblical data and evidence supporting the fact that God is the one who creates them. But more than that, he uses them for his glory, for his namesake, to bring people back to himself. Mm, I love that. I love that. And it's, you know, what a beautiful way that all interweaves with one another. I mean, it just all comes together. Mm. That is just amazing. Well, when our listeners are looking at the stars, in in your research and the work you're doing, I mean, we've talked about so much. What do you feel that they are really viewing? You know, it's so important to know 
why these images are in the sky. We need to understand their purpose. And I know that, especially for those who have grown up in church, you know, I said the Z word, you know, Zodiac, and you say that word, and I felt temperatures in churches drop when I'm doing presentations, and people are like, uh-oh, where's it going with this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, because you, you look at that, and you're like, hmm, I don't know if that really mm-hmm. relates to one another. Those are kind of like on polar ends of... You know the spectrum exactly. we're talking about thought processes, but it's if it's listed in the Bible as some yeah. of the stuff that you talk about, you know. Yeah. So we need to understand that what's the whole purpose of the zodiac uh, of the constellation. I mean, God said we we talked about this in Psalm 19 that the entire sky, all of the heavens, exist to declare Christ, to point us to Him. So what's the first thing the enemy going to do? You see, he can't create. Right? He can't make universes. He can't make planets and stars and constellations. Only God has the power to do that. All the, all the devil, all the enemy can do is what he's been doing since the beginning of time. He distorts. He twists. He deceives. And I'm saying, God, no, that's not why he created them. Our identity is not in the signs. Our identity is not in the constellations. Our identity is in Christ and Christ alone. He's the bright morning star. And as we use these signs to look at him, we see his glory revealed. So what we need to do is redeem the Z word, the Zodiac, and put it back in its rightful place and use it to declare the glory of God. And I think if we do that, it's such a universal sign, because whether you live in the Northern Hemisphere, the Southern Hemisphere, the story of the stars is in the sky. And the story is this, is that God loves us on purpose. God loves us with purpose, and if we're open and we look and we follow these signs, we'll see they really are telling us an incredible story. And with all that, Joe, I mean, my goodness, your book, Story of the Stars, is just a fascinating read. Where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about your your writing and your work? Storyinthestars.com is a great place to start Uh, on there. The book is there as well as a video that I did on the same topic. The book is available, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, just Christian retailers. They can get it anywhere. And, you know, uh, all across social media, they can check me out online. They can connect with me. Uh, Some pastors enjoy having me come into the church and doing a presentation on this. And it's just, it's amazing just how God uses this story to reach people who aren't believers. I can't even say what Muslim country I was in. And I was preaching on Story in the Stars, and people were rushing to the altar because they said, we never heard that our God loves us. You're telling us that the God of the Bible loved us so much that he put the story in the heavens that we wouldn't miss it. And it's such a powerful and beautiful thing. So for me, it's very important for us as believers to redeem these signs because they point us to Christ. Well, Joe, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today and, of course, to share your book, Story in the Stars, with us. Thank you so much for letting me speak about it. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Joe. It's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you and, of course, to talk about your new book, Story in the Stars. Well, we're at the end of our time today. I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. You're listening to Moments with Marianne. And remember, make every moment count.
a single moment, your life can change. Moments with Marianne is a transformative hour that covers an endless array of topics with the best of the best. Her guests are leaders in their fields, ranging from inspirational authors, top industry leaders, and business and spiritual entrepreneurs. Each guest is gifted and a true visionary, a recognized leader in her own work. And while teaching others to develop, refocus, and grow, Marianne will bring the best guest and sometimes a special surprise. Don't miss this. You never know just which moment will change your life forever. Moments with Marianne airs every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Make sure to tune in and visit momentswithmarianne.com for more information.